Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. Welcome to Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. My goodness, Connor, we always say this, but this is kind of a gigantic week in the news. you got Joe Biden uh, grappling with the issue of the black vote. Uh, you got General Flynn, hope springs eternal. Uh, maybe his plea deal will be okay after all. Yeah, what whiplash he's suffering from. Poor guy. Yeah. Poor, poor <laughs> Russian spy. And Becky copped a plea. I was so happy to see that. Better late than never. Mm -hmm. Uh, And folks are saying this stimulus, all this money, it's actually discouraging the recovery in some way. Nonsense. Gibberish. Hoo-ha. Hogwash. Etc. Hey, we've had uh, we've had a lot of fun talking about my brushes with fame in in the last few episodes, and I, I thought I thought I'd share one more. We've talked uh, about my uh, viewing of Jeff Goldblum at mm-hmm. JFK. That was really life changing. It's a classic story for me. I doubt that it changed his mind too much. Probably not. Yeah, we talked last week about uh, Mark Harmon and I were besties back at UCLA in the seventies, and we were we were teammates on a speech project. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. So. It occurred to me I really ought to tell about my uh, close encounter with Mike Marshall, who was a big baseball player for the Dodgers, right fielder, first baseman years ago. And the the deal is this, and I, I think you've heard this family story, Connor, but maybe others haven't. So I think um, most people in, in the world have. So possibly. So my mom, your grandmother, uh, was driving her car down the street one day, about a half a block from her house, when all of a sudden comes barreling out of Mike Marshall's driveway, Mike Marshall's wife's car, and just slams into grandma's car. Fortunately, nobody's hurt. Just oh a my little, goodness. You know, yeah, a little bit of a T-bone. Poor grandma. Concept, yeah. Well, you know, when you're 90-ish, you know, shakes you up a little bit. It does. And still driving. Very impressive. Yeah, well, uh, more impressively that day than, than Mrs. Marshall, because Mrs. Marshall acknowledged that she was kind of sort of at fault. So they handle it. They fix it. No problem. The, the car is fixed and so on. Fast forward two weeks, and we're there, and in McDonald's, uh, about a mile from our house, we're enjoying our happy meals. And uh, your mom, Lauren, and I are there. Maybe you were there. I don't recall if you were there. Okay, maybe your sisters were there. And what does Lauren do? But she spies Mike Marshall two happy meals away. Oh, wow. And she says to me, I'm going to go up to him. I'm going to say this is so good that it worked out. No hard feelings. You know, the thing with your wife right. and, and my mother-in-law. And I said, honey... Maybe. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Don't. You see that he doesn't want to interact with the normal. Yeah. So, you know, Mike yeah, Marshall, yeah, yeah. big star. It wasn't Lou Gehrig. Right. But He's still a Dodger. Yeah, big time guy. And I said, no. She says, no, I really want to do it. Uh, I think it'll be nice. You know, she's a neighbor and so on. I say, I have a bad feeling. You know, I just don't think we, you know, he doesn't want to interact. No. Like she says, yeah, well, as usual, I'm going to ignore what you say. Huh? Right, right, right. Off right, she right, goes. Right. That's called, called marriage. Yes. Barrels past a bunch of fries and strawberry <laughs> shakes and shows up and I. Elbows a child in the face. I can see her about 20 feet away and they're having a conversation and. You know, nobody's breaking out into smiles. It right. seems a little a little serious. A little tense. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, when the doctor comes out of the uh, operating suite to the waiting room to right, tell right, the family right. how things are. It, it had that kind of a yeah, vibe. Yeah, not know? a good vibe. Only without the high fives over, everything's going to be fine. So Lauren trudges back toward me a, a little later. How did it go, honey? And she <laughs> says, oh, 
his wife hadn't told him about the accident. Oh, yeah. That's not good. So she had just handled it a little on the down low without sure, the insurance sure, business sure, and sure. so on. So I felt like uh, I was vindicated, vindicated a little bit. Yeah. But I'm not the kind of guy See, who that's say, says, I told you so. No, of course not. You think it. Yeah. It's there that's in right. your head. So anyway, another brush with fame. I feel like all I do is hang out with famous people, which, uh, you know, I got that going for me, I guess. Uh, what we also have going for us as a nation, which is a little un- unhappy, Connors, polarization seems alive and well. I thought maybe everybody would be brought together, pull on the same oars, get rid of pandemic. No. Mm, not so much. Um, Nancy Pelosi had altogether too much fun mm. within the last week yeah. calling the president uh, a tubby guy. She called him morbidly obese. Right. Now, them's fighting words. Oh, yeah, very. So, you know, in a way, I guess she's justified. He's taken this uh, chloroquine. Uh, that you, was the context, yeah. hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. Uh, someone yeah. asked her about the fact that the president had said in a press conference that he was taking hydroxychloroquine. Mm-hmm. And she said, yeah, I think that's a Putting bad- her MD hat on. Correct, yeah. She said, I think it's a bad idea. He's got risk factors, i.e. he's morbidly <laughs> obese, and not in so many words. But she literally said the words, morbidly obese. And of course, that's relevant to that because uh, obesity is one of the risk factors that makes it more dangerous for someone to be taking a heart-stressing, uh, the heart-stressing yeah, yeah. malaria drug, hydroxychloroquine. But let's face it, she must have had too much fun. Oh, loved it. I'm sure she loved yeah. every second. And the internet loved it. Of course, they blow up. They, they you know, start talking about how great, you know, Nancy. Pelosi is for saying this about Trump. That's where I'm headed with the internet. Um, you, I noticed on Twitter uh, somebody named Sarah Gonzalez. I don't know who she is, but she tweeted, Stacey Abrams is morbidly obese. Uh, we're allowed to do this now, right? Right. So fat shaming is now yeah. entered, entered the, 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 the public uh, discussion uh, of the week. And of course, the response to that would be you're picking on somebody who's not saying that they're coming out as a, as a role model as the president of the United States and <laughs> taking a dangerous drug that is the danger, the symptoms of side effects of which are exacerbated by being morbidly obese. And that's saying to the, the, the nation, it is worth it. It is more it is safer for your health to prophylactically take this drug that, right. that he thinks uh, protects him from coronavirus, even though it does not at all, despite the fact that he's morbidly obese, when there's a whole bunch of Americans who are scared about coronavirus and morbidly obese, and Stacey Abrams has done nothing <laughs> of the kind and said nothing of the kind and endangered Americans in no way. Uh, but yeah, let's fat shame everybody equally. No, this is obviously dumb for Pelosi to have done what she did in the way that she did it, and it's her failing to maintain a professional air and atmosphere and giving in to her anger and hatred and desire to jab at Trump. But she, had she worded it more carefully, would have been 100% in the right to say, look, nobody should be recommending we take this dangerous drug without considering the side effects and not under the supervision of a a professional, a doctor. In addition, there are runs on this drug leading to people who actually have lupus and other conditions and are unable to get the drug that they take for their condition because people are desperate to get it prophylactically to help themselves in a way that won't actually help themselves. (laughs) If she'd said that, and if she'd followed that up by saying, and by the way, if the president is out there as a role model saying it's worth it to do this and put up with potential side effects, including death, and the risk uh, of it is, 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 is worth it for someone who is overweight, and she'd couched it in all that, and it hadn't been a you know, morbidly obese jab yeah, at yeah. Trump, 
that would have been the right thing so to you're, say in you're my right. mind. You're right. And of course, I'm right too, because exhibit A uh, for polarization is still with us, I think, is this story. And by the way, yeah. say what you want about it Trump. Is. You just leave my man Chris Christie out of this. Okay? Yeah, yeah, I don't want to yeah. hear anything about Nothing. his No, Nobody says a bad heft. word. So exhibit Bug B Chris. in the unpleasant case of polarization is still here yeah. is a, a story about Stephen Miller. Now, Stephen Miller is an advisor to President Trump. Oh, yeah, the white he's, supremacist. He's very controversial among progressives. And I what? guess I didn't have to say that because a progressive <laughs> just declared that he's basically Hitler. But let's just put it that he's way. He's a presidential advisor who's controversial. Now, now we go to the feminist website Jezebel. Mm -hmm. Jezebel is very progressive. Quite. Uh, several days ago, Jezebel posted a story titled, quote, I will personally be thrilled if Stephen Miller dies of COVID-19. Mm. Now, I think this is further uh, further proof for my thesis. Right. That, Donna, we just haven't conquered the, uh, the problem of polarization. So as I understand the story, the story was a... Uh, uh, an attempt to deal with the... Oh, oh we have to look at the context? It was a tongue-in-cheek? There's not a lot of context. No. I mean, you could say it's tongue-in-cheek, <laughs> yeah. but the, the title is what it is, right? How, is, how could that be out of context? Right. What, she's saying, what she's saying is that Stephen Miller has, uh, by his advice and his policies, contributed to people being put at risk of COVID-19, mm -hmm. and he's also, uh, she thinks, a bad dude, and so uh, the government would be better off without him. But... To wish death on someone. Um, That's kind of over the top. Well, yeah, it is. But I'm still uh, how do checking. You, the question is, how do you write an article that tries to draw the touchy, you know, close distinction between wishing death on someone versus being personally thrilled yeah. if someone dies. Well, I would say, are they how, different? Really? I would say the way you do that is use your words. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's the premise of the article is that I, you know, I don't want anybody to die, but I'd be happy if he did. And I mean, do we need that article? Is that make our yeah. country stronger, happier, better, healthier? Like why? You like, know, I'm bummed out because my, my search function on my computer is broken. Oh, yeah? Because is in it? the last week I've been searching for the progressive Jezebel apology for right, that guy. Right, and right. I, it's not popping up, yeah, and yeah, I'm sure yeah. it's there. I, oh, just, yeah, yeah. I just can't get it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Final thing I wanted to get into before you go to the top story mm -hmm. is I noticed the New York Times had uh, a big editorial today, Sunday morning, where we're doing this on, uh, on Sunday Memorial Day weekend. And the editorial essentially says that military bases are racist because they're named out after a bunch of racist guys who were Confederate Army officers who right. were all, all up for, for slavery and so on. And the title is, Why Does the U.S. Military Celebrate White Supremacy? Now, I'm prepared to give the New York Times the benefit of the doubt and, and assume that this is a, a fact, that this happens, that it's a bad fact, that we ought to do something about it. I, I'm uh, uh, prepared to accept that. I guess my problem, Connor, is why would they choose Memorial Day weekend to run this particular editorial? I mean, why choose to attack the military now when maybe the focus, the total focus this weekend should be thank you for your service, for your sacrifice? I mean, that's the whole idea of Memorial Day is we are remembering the women and the men who died or were horribly maimed, you know, the ultimate sacrifice for freedom in all of the wars over the last 300 years and so on. You know, we don't really spend a lot of time thinking about that, and you think that maybe this weekend we really should focus on it. Uh, and I think that kind of took away from it. I, I mean, in a way, I, I don't see it as taking away from you know, our ability to recognize the sacrifices made by people in the armed forces. It doesn't in prevent fact, it. The people in the armed forces are, you know, 
uh, many of them are persons of color and affected by racism. And to acknowledge that and say, look, at this time when we're all focusing on people of color, uh, focusing on uh, people in the armed forces, how about we think about the people of color in the armed forces if have to deal with the fact that there's racism in our sure. society? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I started out saying I'm, yeah. I'm willing to accept the yeah. total legitimacy of the argument. Again, though— the focus, I, and it, I, it's, I know it's Putting crazy. Putting it on this weekend. I know sure. it's crazy, but my mind, here's where my mind went. Uh, on Fox News, Jesse Waters has a show. You know, he used to be one of O'Reilly's producers. Now he got uh-huh. a, has his own show. And mm-hmm. he's they the said you were, you're too evil for O'Reilly. We need to give you your own show. <laughs> so here's what he's done over the last several years. Which is he impressive. Goes, it's hard to be that evil. He goes to the beach on Memorial Day weekend, and he goes up to gorgeous women in bikinis, mm-hmm. and he starts asking them questions about U.S. history, and in particular, Memorial Day. And of course, the ones that make the highlights real right, don't on the show. The these, yes. these gorgeous women, they are asked, uh, what, are we, what are we acknowledging, memorying, remembering this Memorial Day? And they've got no, you crickets. They've got no idea. And then he goes in, and he sticks the, the knife in, and he turns it. Well, okay, uh, the Revolutionary War, who did we fight in the, the Revolutionary War? Uh, China? Uh, what about World War II? You know, who, you know, what century? They had no idea of the century. The, and then, who fought in the Civil War? Um, I don't know, El, El Salvador, the North, and the... And they couldn't complete the that's, sentence. That's rough. Okay? That's rough. Uh, we were fighting against England in, in the Civil War. Yeah. So to me, the New York Times, they're the intellectual versions of Jesse Waters' Bikini Girls. Because just as the girls can't focus on what Memorial Day is all about, because they don't know, the New York Times doesn't have that excuse. They know darn well what it's about. Interesting analogy. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. I, I think Interesting. a lot of times Might be a people stretch. <laughs> do analogize the New York Times with Jesse Waters' Bikini Girls. Yeah, all the time. Comes out. But I still think it's a stretch. Uh, Biden says, uh, if you're having trouble deciding whether to vote for Trump or Biden, oh then you ain't black. Yeah. We are going to talk about that yeah. when we return on Too Many Words. I'm Chris Hahn, the Aggressive Progressive. Check out a new episode of the Aggressive Progressive podcast every Tuesday. You know, the election is heating up just as the year is winding down. Stick with me. I'll tell you the truth as I see it. Download the Aggressive Progressive on Pandora or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you in search of deeper meaning in your life? Longing to manifest your true desires and unlock your full potential? Look no further than Portal Mystico podcast, your gateway to treasure trove of transformative tools, enlightening interviews, and enriching content. I'm your host, Elena Maggio, and it's my heartfelt desire to guide you on this extraordinary journey of self-discovery. And with every episode, I'm passionate about sharing and introducing you to new topics in self-development, metaphysics, astrology, the law of attraction, numerology, interviews that will eliminate your path and fuel your own personal growth. This podcast is your wellspring of inspiration dedicated to help you uncover your purpose with unwavering passion. Together, we'll dive deep into the fascinating topics and explore endless possibilities. Listen to Portal Mystico on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite platform. We're back with Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So Joe Biden, gosh, in the news this week, in spite of... No news is bad news. (laughs) So he's getting some press time, and that's really what matters. In spite of being confined to the basement. um, 
So he says at the conclusion of this interview with this guy named Charlemagne God. Charlemagne the God. The God, who apparently is really popular. Hugely popular. Not on my radar screen. He's in New York. Unhip I am. It's a New York-based hip-hop radio station, and he has a a morning show called The Breakfast Club. And it's very influential, and tons of politicians do the show and do the interview show. I remember hearing Hillary did it. Obviously. So uh, so Biden says, look, if you're having trouble deciding between me and, and Donald Trump, then you ain't black. So boom, firestorm on the internet. Yeah. Kind of insulting in the right. minds of many people to black voters who some f- have lo- thought long and hard and they've opted for Donald Trump. And so, is the idea they're not authentically black or they're committing racial treason so or two, they just don't get it? Two different responses mm-hmm. right out the gates. First response was from Simone Sanders, who is uh, at Biden's... Um, a staffer, I don't know. She's mm-hmm. sort of spokesperson, the head, spokesperson, yeah. one of the head of heads of his campaign. Um, and her response was to say she was a hero several weeks ago when she tackled some maniac who tried to get up on the stage behind yeah. Biden. Yeah. yeah. So she said, uh, "Look, he's highlighting the difference between his record and Trump's record, and she's black, and uh, she's also being paid by Biden to say these things." Um, and and she said he also said this in jest. Now, in that did not hold water, and that did not. Like, that was not sufficient. And later in the same day, uh, the second attempt at apologizing and, right. and figuring things out, Biden himself apologized, and he rephrased and, and didn't try to sort of downplay it that much as in jest, because that's not the, the that's not a solution. That is so commonly thrown up as, oh, well, he said this or did this as a joke. It doesn't matter whether you did it as a joke. If you make a sexist joke, it's still sexist. Right. He called it, it cavalier. Jo- yes, and then in his in his uh, response, he said it was too much, too cavalier. And he said, uh, you know, I'm I'm just uh, to, trying to, to to point out as as Simone said, he, he repeated the, the, himself basically. Quick question: If people don't know um, who fought in the Civil War, are they going to know what cavalier means? A good point. Cavalry, cavalier. It's very confusing. Yeah. There's a lot going on. Yeah, honestly. Uh, this is bad, and I know I don't have the the the, the I'm not the, the person to be passing judgment and deciding exactly how bad this is or what Biden has got to do to make it up to his voters <laughs> to make them think that he really regards them, you know, respects them, and, right. and doesn't think of them as a monolith. It doesn't take them for granted. That's what he said in his in his apologies. Oh, I know that this sounds like I was taking uh, the black vote for granted, but it's the last thing. That's actually I think a really good, well done PR spin mm-hmm. uh, on uh, an apology. But that's not what he's being blamed for right. by saying if you don't if you can't decide between me and Trump, you ain't black. He's not taking the black vote for granted. That is the eventual outcome of that argument. Right. But to turn that around and weaken what he did and, and say, well, all he did was take the black vote for granted. That's a like a personal failing of his where he would make an assumption about election demographics. That's an easy mistake to make. And people have been saying that about de- Democrats for years. And we've all sort of forgiven them for taking the black vote for granted. Even if we don't like that they do it and we try to fight to stop them from doing it, we understand that they do it. That was his attempt to say, well, this is just more of that. This is not just more of that. This is him saying, I know who and what black people are Mm -hmm. as a culture, as a group, as a political block, whatever. I am guided to be the arbiter of blackness here. Which is kind of presumptuous in the minds of a lot of black people. It's really bad. Is it horrible and, and disqualifying? Not to me. It's it's not it's not that bad that I'm not going to vote for the guy, especially given who he's you know my other option is. But it's it is really bad, and we'll have to listen to people over the next week and two three weeks about how best to deal with the fact that that Biden said yeah. this and how to make sure that Biden is 
not taking that uh, the black vote for granted, and also not trying to be the arbiter yeah. of blackness. And he has apologized a couple of times. We'll it, see if that's enough. It, it, I do see uh, there uh, being two sides to this issue. On the one hand, there's the bad side for Biden. I mean, right. it implies the interests of all black people are the same. Right, a monolith. Uh, it's kind of close to saying all black people are alike. Sure. And when you look at the stats, which I, I dredged up, in the last six presidential contests, the black vote went to the GOP as follows. 8%, that was the Trump, 6 and 4%. Uh, for in the Obama era, 11%, 9%, 12%. So the question is, are these folks not black either? The other side of the coin is maybe it's helpful to Biden to kind of fire up his base and engage people. I mean, he hasn't exactly been scintillating recently. Right. He not only wants the black vote, uh, he wants a big turnout. He wants yeah. people to think about him and so on. So ultimately, maybe maybe it'll help him that, uh, yeah, there are some black voters that really resented it and think it's presumptuous and so on. Yeah. On the other hand, um, maybe Look, the great majority of them will say, well, yeah, we get it. You know, Trump is evil incarnate. And so, sure, we're going to turn out for you. Yeah, I think this being the story that came out of his Charlemagne the God interview is not the worst thing in the world, given that he doubled down during that same interview and proclaimed how uh, proclaimed not just that the 1994 crime bill didn't hurt the black community, uh, the one that he he championed. It didn't. He said it didn't hurt the black community. And in, in addition, Hillary shouldn't have apologized for her support of the 1994 crime bill mm. because she was wrong that it when she said that it hurt the black community or agreed. Oh, yes, I, it was wrong for me to support it because it had ended up hurting the black community. Like that is a bigger problem. That is a bigger misunderstanding of policy and, and policy's impact on people and, and the communities that, you know, are the subject of over policing and racism in this country to say the 94 crime bill, the tough on crime bill, the, you know, the, the ramp up the carceral state to say you throw more people in prison and be harsher on drug crimes and be, you know, ramp up uh, mandatory sentencing. Like these are problems that hurt people more directly. And to say that, you know, in an abstract, vague sort of way, like, well, you you know, maybe I get to be the arbiter of blackness because I'm the Democratic nominee and I get to all, uh, all the black people are going to vote for me, basically. So you got to sign up on, you know, get on my team. Mm -hmm. That's what he's like. That's the, the big fallout story. What the big fallout story should have been that he won't get off the frickin 1994 crime bill. That he won't put it in the past and say, look, I made mistakes. Like in the 90s, I shook hands with ex-KKK, you know, basically pro-Confederate racists in the Senate because I wanted to make handshake deals and I thought that's how you got government done. Right. And instead, he got taken advantage of and we also doubled down on our misunderstandings of how best to police people by over-policing them. That's what he should be growing and changing yep. from. These, This, you know, the you ain't black quote, it's a better headline. But he's, it's not as bad. He's not emphasizing the whole the whole hands across the aisle thing anymore. No, Maybe he's not he's, because that's not, the, that's not the 2020 moment. Um, but yep. without that, what has he got? I mean, come on. So let's talk General Flynn. The plot has thickened here. And I mean, a lot of inside baseball going here. Tons. Uh, to start with, of course, uh, the government a few years ago, Obama's prosecutors, filed charges. Uh, and the charges were, uh, you know, perjury and so on. Now, a week or two ago, the government, Trump's folks say, well, never mind. Uh, please dismiss the case. The judge says, not so fast. Let me get input from a retired judge. And he picks a retired judge who had just penned an anti-Trump and anti-Flynn op-ed piece in the Washington Post the week before. Right. So now um, this this retired judge is supposed to give input from a few months down the road, all these amicus curiae briefs. 
And two or three days ago, Flynn goes up to the Court of Appeals and he says, please dismiss this case. Tell the judge what to do. So here's the twist. In response, the appeals court just two days ago has ordered the judge, the real judge, and uh, not, not the retired one, to file a brief by May 31, which is a Sunday no less, explaining why he, the real judge, shouldn't dismiss the case as Flynn asked for. Now, this is probably a good sign for Flynn, for Judge yes. Flynn. The, the inside baseball angle, Connor, is that this three-judge panel that made this order to the three judges or Republican appointees, mm-hmm. if the government wants to, uh, that is, if the judge wants to, who's trying to look into whether to hold Flynn's feet to the fire, he may ask for the full Circuit Court of Appeals, all 20 of them, to pick at random a dozen or so judges, which might come out with a very different result than the three-judge panel. And of course, eventually, whoever loses at the D.C. Circuit, they are entitled to go up to the U.S. Supreme Court and try yeah. to interest them. Uh, you know, you you think uh, you think Flynn's uh, got a, got a good shot now? The D.C. Circuit coming to I his mean, rescue? Who knows? Uh, it certainly looks much better for him. But as I said earlier, it's real. It's whiplash, right? It's back and forth. This guy was screwed, completely screwed, right? He lied to the FBI multiple times about multiple subjects across these interviews that he did with him. He voluntarily said, I'm going to go talk to the FBI uh, and I'm going to tell them about the communications that I had with foreign governments and what I did uh what what conversations I had and what I told those foreign governments to do. The the big one and the most important one was uh, the connection with the, the Russian sanctions um, that uh, were put into place by the Obama administration. And Russia was considering, oh, should we strike back with retaliatory sanctions against the U.S.? And Flynn went to the Russians, then talked to the Russians and said um, during the 24-day period that he was working for Trump, uh, he said – I'm going to, uh, you guys should not levy sanctions back on the United States. Right. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You don't have to do that. This is, of course, the big signal that as soon as Trump comes into office, he will get rid of those sanctions. So you please don't retaliate against the United States because you don't have to. We're going to be friends in just a couple of days. Kind of a similar signal to when Obama said to the Russian guy and he didn't know the mic was open, I'm going to have more flexibility after the election, so let's chat after that. So So, that's the GOP response. So this is, you know... uh, Flynn understood that by admitting that he had done this, he would have been undermining American foreign policy. The the power of the sanctions is that, well, they could be indefinite. They could last for a long time. They might stick around. Sounds like a Logan Act violation to me. Yeah, if they only only last for a month, then no one gives a crap. It's fine. It'll It'll be fine. So that is what Flynn knew he wasn't allowed to have been doing. So then to the FBI, he tells them, oh, no, no, I never did that. I never, uh, I never, uh, I, I never advocated for Russia to not uh, levy mm-hmm. sanctions back in the U.S., which is weird. Like, why, why would we care if he's saying don't sanction the U.S., right. right? That would be good for us. No, because of the fact that it really, what that really meant is code for Trump's about to get rid of the Russian sanctions. It was a bad, bad thing. For so Flynn you can understand why the judge would be so unhappy was. with him right. for doing this. Then he pleads guilty. Later, they catch him in that lie. They got the transcript of the of the calls because every freaking foreign government was listening to these calls, basically. And so having lied to the FBI, you've now got a compromised guy. This guy can be blackmailed because the Russians know that he lied to the FBI and they can 
make that public if Flynn right. doesn't do what they want. So he's very, very vulnerable to blackmail. So he then he gets caught in this lie. He then pleads guilty and he stands up in court and he says all the things you do when you stand up in court, which is under I, oath. I did I, it. I did it. And you say I'm doing this of my own you know, volition and I'm doing it uh, under advice of counsel and I don't want any more uh, time to have a lawyer look at it. And I've read everything and I know exactly what the implications are of what I'm saying, blah, 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 blah. And he takes this plea deal. And then the prosecutors in this case had this incredible, unprecedented move that no one's ever seen where they said, well, we've got this guy dead to rights and he's he's already pled. And at this point, we're going to exercise prosecutorial discretion because we're Bill Barr's DOJ to dismiss the case that we've already won and get rid of this, these charges, which, of course, Flynn is now on board with. Uh, and that's what brought up the judge, uh, you know, considering was this perjury for him to be admit, saying under oath, I did it when he now is saying I, that he didn't. In a declaration also under oath that yes. he didn't do it. Well, uh, we're going to know by May 31 uh, what the uh, response by the judge is. I think he's going to get a lawyer. When we come back, we're going to reveal uh, the fact that the social media response to me when I posted something about this story was <laughs> that I am a Trump-tard cultist. No. Yes. No. We're going to explain that in great no. detail when we come back. But meantime, Connor is going to explain to you how you can subscribe and rate us. So if you get your podcast on iTunes and built into the iTunes app, you can just rate the podcast as you see it. Uh, just leave a review. It's a star thing. And then you can also leave uh, a, a typed out review. Connor has a wonderful voice, the dulcet tones. It's beautiful. I listen to it to go to bed at night. It's like ASMR, blah, blah, blah. Royal's good too. So you leave whatever you want in there and just having reviews on iTunes would be fantastic. You know, of course, every review helps a lot and if you get it on any other podcast platform they also have review systems and you know it's uh just just click that click that four or five stars you know whatever you feel, maybe four and a half stars whatever you feel like we are or five and a half uh, and we're providing for you so yeah that would uh, be very helpful and we love doing this regardless but it, it would be it'd be nice to you know have a little little bit of a uh, groundswell of, of reviewing support a little tsunami and we're going to be right back on too many lawyers the Car Pro Show podcast is available on iHeart, Apple, and Spotify. I can't take my husband anywhere. He's constantly behaving like a five-year-old, snorting, joking, yapping with strangers. It's so embarrassing. But the one period when he's fully engrossed in anything is if he's listening to the Car Pro Show podcast. Here they are now on the Car Pro Show. He gets to hear Jerry and Kevin share all the latest and greatest news and information about the CarPro Friends universe, reviews and commentary on all the newer vehicle lineups from every major brand, stories and testimonials about ultimate car buying experiences through CarPro.com, and certified CarPro Friends at dealers nationwide. My only regret is when this two-hour break from you-know-who ends. Save yourself! Grab some me time by tuning into the CarPro Show podcast on your device anytime, anywhere. Listen to the CarPro Show on iHeart, Apple, and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by CarPro.com, where you now have a friend in the car buying business. CarPro.com. <laughs> I'm Chris Hahn, the Aggressive Progressive. Check out a new episode of the Aggressive Progressive podcast every Tuesday. You know, the election is heating up just as the year is winding down. Stick with me. I'll tell you the truth as I see it. Download the Aggressive Progressive on Pandora or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. All right, so I went on social media, Connor, about this Flynn thing. Yeah. And I made a point of the fact that this retired judge who was just hired by the real judge. Right. 
he had just written an op-ed piece in the Washington Post against yeah. Trump and against Flynn. And I'm thinking, is this really fair? Shouldn't you have some sort of patina of objectivity by well, the, you know, the I, guy? I actually felt like it was good. I felt like it was a good thing yeah. that they had that, uh, that they, they picked a guy who was basically on the other side of things. I mean, this is, I, I get why you would want somebody who's objective to come in and give an objective opinion, but that wasn't this guy's role. This guy's role was the judge. Imagine you're sitting there on the bench and right. suddenly the government, who is the prosecutor, who's trying to win the case to try to throw a guy in jail, comes forward and says, actually, we're reversing and we uh, we want to uh, dismiss these charges. And then, of course, Flynn's side jumps on and says, yes, we'd also like to dismiss these charges. So what are you doing sitting there as a judge? All you're going to get is the slanted view of the two sides. It's an adversarial system, right? Our right. court system is adversarial. You got two people on one side of the argument. If you're a judge and you're hearing argument, both people are saying the same thing, you could be missing something crucial and important okay, or a whole See your logic. Point. I you see gotta your... bring in somebody to to basically stand in the shoes of the other side of where the DOJ should be if Bill Barr wasn't pulling the strings behind the behind the curtain. So I see your point, but here's the problem. I was just expressing a, a legitimate opinion on the other side, and now yes. I'm going to quote Agreed. for you. Hmm. The, so you can't the, give the airtime the face, to trolls. The Facebook post by somebody who I don't think he's a Trump fan. In response to my Flynn comment, he said, "Quote." You are a low IQ, low common sense, whack job, Trump tard cultist. Nice. Stop pushing your opinions as facts, imbecile. <laughs> now, to his credit, he didn't put an exclamation point after imbecile. Well, that's good. It was just a very so he's sort of nice a moderate period. You could yeah. Say. So I don't know. I I felt that like I really brought out the best in that guy, but. You know, there's always going to be somebody with uh, an extreme overreaction on the Internet. And the fact that we've gone so many episodes before you felt the the blowback of the Internet's fury over some stuff you said when it really wasn't that bad at all and was just talking about the facts of how the Flynn case you know, worked out. Like your post was just like, this is what the appeals is going to do and this is the process right. and this is who's talking to who and who's writing what brief. And the guy was like, up, Trump. Da, da, da. It was so obviously. speaking of inducing a really extreme reaction. What? I, I on this ask, show? I want to ask you. About Alan Dershowitz's oh, take, Connor. Hit me. Connor's a huge Love fan. Him. Love the Dersh. Dershowitz Love the Dersh. said, as to the, the judge in the Flynn case uh, trying to figure out, well, should we prosecute this guy for perjury? Dershowitz said, um, wait a minute. Political Science 101, you got your executive, legislative, and judicial branch. The executive branch decides who to prosecute. Now, you can criticize and say, oh, Barr's in Trump's pocket, but that's their job. Is it really the judge's job to decide, hmm, maybe this guy committed perjury. Let's let's have an investigation and so on. Don't you think the Dersh kind of has a point Wait, here? the Dersh? You're saying blurring that, the lines you're between saying that the, the branches, or the, as AOC says, the chambers of government? You're saying the Dersh is holding up a finger and saying, hold on, I I see it differently. Specifically, I see it in a way that comports with my worldview and well, makes, the defense lawyer. makes the people that I like uh, uh, correct in what they're doing and, and overall makes me the, the correct party in my, my party the, on the correct side of this issue. No, of course, he's going to come down that way. Dershowitz is, is, I think, wrong in his understanding of prosecutorial discretion. Prosecutorial discretion is a tool to, to, to get another layer of uh, uh, of decision making in there to make sure that we're not prosecuting cases where we cannot meet the burden of proof, where we cannot find that somebody is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. It's a good thing that prosecutors have the power to say, look, overzealous cops who would love charges to be brought, or look, whoever else is pushing for this to happen. I'm the prosecutor here. I'm the one with my hands on the steering wheel. And I'm going to say, I don't think we can go forward with this one. And whether we use the, 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 the fact that we just sort of pressure them on moral grounds like 
like, hey, it's not the right thing to do to push you know guilty pe- or innocent people into prison, or the fact that prosecutors' careers are kind of based on how many convictions they get and the percentage of their hit rate. So if you uh, if you tie that to their success rate, then it's more likely that they'll back off of a case where they they might think they'll lose. That's what prosecutorial discretion is about. It's about the prosecutor saying, I think this is not a case where the government can meet its burden of proof. That is not what happened in this case with Flynn. The government already met its burden of proof. The government got in hand Do you the, think it's the, a- the, the under oath confession when he you know, confessed and said, I did it. I'm going to take this plea deal. It's done and won. There's nothing left okay. to do, do but allow the is- judge to sentence him. And now the judge is the one sitting there with his hand on the steering wheels, deciding on the sentencing. And the DOJ goes, oh, we'd like to back this process up. Can we roll it back, please, to the part before we had to meet our burden of proof? And at that point, dismiss the charges using this idea of prosecutorial discretion. And the judge, I think, properly is saying, uh, you missed your chance. We're not at that stage of the, for the process. That's not what prosecutorial discretion is for. Do you think it's analogous, the judge uh, saying, hey, let's look into perjury, to a judge having the power in his courtroom when somebody acts up and lies or, or mm. behaves improperly to say, well, I'm holding you in contempt of court. And so in that sense, I guess he's acting as judge, jury, prosecutor, executioner, all rolled into one. Yeah. Hey, be, perjury is, in a way, a special crime in that way and then it's connected to being and held in contempt because it's something that is is done in front of the judge so the judge has all the, like he the judge is the witness to perjury right you you don't need to bring him when you're getting somebody for perjury well he might be i mean there might be all sorts of extraneous evidence that would contribute to the perjury a charge in that, other that he cases doesn't have personal knowledge uh, of. absolutely true and in other cases uh, that would come up all the time in this case we specifically have uh, both halves of the perjury happening, the the one lie and then the, the other lie right in front of the judge. And if those two are, as a matter of just fact and logic, incongruous and impossible to reconcile, then the judge gets to be judge, jury, and because he's sentencing, executioner. He gets to decide that this happened. And so in that way, it is a special kind of crime, you're right, connected to his power to hold people in contempt, literally connected legally in, to that power. Let's talk about Lori Laughlin. Big week for her. Um, poor, poor Lori. Did she... And she didn't she play Tom Sawyer's aunt in that Mark Twain story? Um, you know, I think I missed that, that one. Oh no, Let's no, put no. It on you the, know, I'm mixing. But that Oaks was Aunt Polly. That was Aunt Polly. She's list. Aunt Becky. Oh, okay. Why in the world did it take her over a year to plead guilty? To get her deal. I mean, was it worth going through a, a no, year of hell and millions in legal fees Definitely just not. to wind up cutting a deal basically you could have had long ago? Yeah. I, I mean, mean, Felicity Huffman took her two-week sentence that she served 11 days of, and then out she went. Wow. And that nightmare has been in her rearview mirror for months. Did Lori Laughlin really think that her lawyers were going to ride to glory and maybe win a jury verdict? All, all the time risking a conviction, a 20-year sentence, all of their money, just so what? If she wins, just so the public could react by saying, oh, Lori won, eh, that's because she's rich and had a fancy lawyer. Yeah. Like, everybody knows she You're cheated right. to get into USC. That is what, that is what they would have said. So she got two months. Her husband gets five months. She's going to pay 150 grand. He's going to pay 250 grand. Put it together, and it's both of it's smaller than the 500 grand they gave to USC. Yeah. She gets 100 hours of community service. He gets 250. It sounds to me, Connor, like he was a skosh guiltier yeah. than, than Lori was. But I guess she's more famous, so that's that's, uh, that's what's in the headlines. No, you're right. This is something she definitely should have taken a plea to previously, and given especially since she almost certainly did it. Like, there's no there's no real argument that she didn't. The argument is just that this 
sort of treatment is kind of over, you know, like that they're getting really harsh treatment or that what they did shouldn't really be a crime or we know so many people do it or whatever well, else, however you want to, you know, describe we it. We don't really know exactly what the parameters of the case against him were. We, we had a, a general notion that, okay, this guy Rick Singer is talking to a bunch of rich people and he says to them kind of two things. One, you know how this works. Rockefeller paid half a billion dollars. And guess what? Everybody named Rockefeller gets into the colleges. Yes. No illegality. That's just the way the world works. And frankly, most people don't have a problem with it because the half a billion by Rockefeller helps a lot of folks right. who have money trouble and it really pumps up uh, the, the educational system. Right. And that's how the world works. So you're going to donate a lot of money. We're going to get you the kid, get the kid in. Then you go to the other extreme of he's got Oh, they've got wiretaps. The FBI had Singer uh, make phone calls to folks in in which he had conversations along the lines of, "Well, of course you realize this is terribly illegal and it's a bribe, and you know, but you're willing to do it, right?" Yes, Rick. We already talked about it. Yeah. So the question is, did there uh, did the government have smoking gun evidence like that against Lori, or did, was it more the first where he was just saying, "Well, it's a little sketchy, but there's a back door and a front door." Mm -hmm. We don't really know, but I mean, let's face it: it would be a roll of the dice, uh, and I think irresponsible yeah. for her lawyers to have given her false hope that, "Oh, this right. is going to work out great. You pay me three million dollars." Well, that's the real question: is it false hope? Because this is this is America, right? Now, you are are the person maybe most qualified in the country to talk about how celebrities get unequal treatment under the law and how the media, you know, portrays them in doing so, right? Your experience from everything from O.J. Simpson forward will tell you, you'll be able to speak to the fact that that sometimes the guilty guy gets away, well, yeah, right? Yeah, but of course, you never know how it's going to cut. Sometimes the guilty guy goes free because he is a celebrity. Right. The jury loves him, the fancy Michael lawyers. Jackson. Sometimes he gets hit harder because people resent the fact that, oh, he had all this fame and all this money, and yet still he ripped us off or he committed the crime. So you never know how it's going to so play you, out. So what you're saying is you should have been uh, her lawyer. You should have been a consultant <laughs> on this it. case. You would have been able to get in both sides of that coin and say, are you going to be a Phil Spector or are you going to be an O.J. Simpson? And how do we okay. get there either way? Could have Lori, made, call us for your next huge legal problem. Could have made well, the call, big bucks. Call Royal. I don't know if I call me. I don't know <laughs> crap about this. Stuff. No, no, no. We're a team on this. <laughs> well, we've about run out of time, Connor, but I do want to oh. Let folks know that we've got a special feature. Every once in a while, we have the Bunker Diaries right after the podcast in Maine. And so uh, in just a moment, please stick around because I'm going to provide the Bunker Diaries, my take on three big stories this week. But this has been a pleasure. Uh, as always. Uh, and we're going to hope you listen to us next week as well here on Too Many Lawyers. Have a great week. I'm Royal Oaks, and this is the Bunker Diaries. Strippers get stimulated. We've heard Nevada brothels are getting the green light for red light small business emergency loans. And now shuttered strip clubs are getting help as well. Some clubs are moving outdoors with drive-by customers taking in the show. There's the embarrassment factor. Hey, isn't that Burt's Buick in the line? But a pandemic requires creativity. Traffic-free streets? I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, so somebody's going to have to explain this to me. L.A. County wants to close some streets to cars, turning them into pedestrian-only areas. But if social distancing is the thing, isn't it safer for folks to be entombed in Priuses and Panteras than meandering around sneezing on each other? 
The county says it wants folks to gradually go outside and they can toss the frisbee more easily if no cars are nearby. And let's all read from the book of Stormy Daniels. Zoom seems to be challenging Amazon for world dominance, but stories of glitches crop up. This week saw an awkward insertion of what was called traumatizing pornography into a Zoom Bible study class. It seems a misguided hacker interrupted the lesson with a montage of folks engaged in hardcore sex acts. Perhaps they were visual aids depicting sin. The offended faithful have filed a class action lawsuit against Zoom in San Francisco. This follows a Texas suit claiming Zoom allowed uninvited men to observe a dance instructor's pole dancing classes. I'm Royal Oaks with The Bunker Diary.